0: And we've tried to just get honest with ourselves about that thing. And, and you know what? I feel like we've done a pretty good job. Now, I will tell you this. You all have died out and using your tongue and this whole participation thing. Nobody said amen for about two weeks now. Amen? <laughs> and the reason for that is because we feel like if we say amen, everybody's going to think that we got it under control. And the fact is, most of the people sitting around us know that we don't have that tongue under control, right? And so we're very very skeptical or very slow to say amen on some of those kind of things but i will tell you this probably every person that i talked to this week just pass them in the fellowship the somehow the subject came up about guile in our mouth how many of you found out that there's lots of guile in your mouth amen and, and you know what i appreciate that honesty i i, I really do and and, it, and it's kind of wild We will be honest about this thing of our tongue, even though, as we saw from Matthew chapter 15, what Jesus said is the things that proceed out of our mouth come from where? Come from our heart. And you know what? Even though this is a reflection of our heart, the fact that guile is found in our mouth, the thing that is just real cool about you guys is You're honest enough with God and and with all the rest of us to to say, I've got some heart problems that are being manifest through my mouth. But I want to tell you something. What we're going to be talking about here this morning is one of those areas that I'm I'm not real sure that we're going to be as apt to be as honest with each other through the rest of this week. It's going to be a heavy one today, y'all. We're going to talk about something that every one of us in this room are as guilty, if not more so, than with this thing of the tongue, but it's an area of our life that we we seek desperately to keep hidden from the rest of the world. It's an area that we keep hidden from even the closest People to us in the world some of your best friends don't know what goes on in a secret world of sinfulness that most people in Laodicea live in continually and because we live in this little secret sinful world in this area It's very easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're one place when we're really at another. Because nobody knows but us, and we've been tolerating this secret world so long that we've accepted it. We've accepted it as normal. And because we've accepted it as normal, we really don't understand where we are. And you see, again, that's very characteristic of Laodiceans, is it not? We willfully allow ourselves to be blinded of what we know is true. Now, does anybody have any idea what secret world of sinfulness that we're talking about here this morning? I didn't hear what you said, but what I'm talking about is the secret world of of our sexual desires there's something majorly wrong in Christianity y'all something majorly wrong Frank passed on a little booklet to me written by a pastor out west I want you to listen to just a a little portion of this he he says a few years ago I spoke on sexual purity at a Bible college many students came for counseling including three I'll call Rachel Barb and Pam Rachel got right to the point my parents sent me to one of our pastors for counseling and I ended up sleeping with him later the same day Barb Deacon's daughter told me through tears My dad has had sex with me for years, and now he's starting on my sisters. Next day, I met Pam. Her story? I came to Bible college to get away from an affair with my pastor. At another school, Tony, an 18-year-old girl, was guilt-ridden because she had had sex with her former youth pastor. Have you confessed it to the Lord and cut off the relationship, I asked? Yes, she replied. His wife found out, and he moved to another church but that's not all she paused I can't believe it but the church hired a new youth pastor and I ended up in bed with him too Tony said I could discuss her situation with the Dean of Students what's going on with Christian leaders he asked last year our music minister was dismissed for adultery then we found out he did the same thing in his last church and I just heard that a seminary professor was dismissed for immorality for every well-known Christian television personality or evangelical leader who bites the dust, there are any number of lesser-known local pastors and Bible teachers and parachurch workers who quietly resign or are fired for sexual immorality. Most of us can name several, some dozens, and some many more still. Three c- Christian leaders sat down together and came up with a list of 250 names. Furthermore, there are innumerable lay men and women whose service as Christian workers and leaders has been eroded or abruptly halted for exactly the same reason. Much as we hate to admit it, the evangelical landscape is littered with the carcasses of lives and ministries decimated by sexual sin. The conclusion is sobering and the implications far-reaching. There is among Christians, including Christians in ministry, A moral epidemic of enormous and frightening proportions. Now, the issue here is not to talk about immorality in ministry any more than it is in the lives of the people of this church. And where all of this is coming from is from Revelation chapter 14, and I'd like to ask you to go over there for just a moment. We've been looking at the characteristics of a very special group of people that is going to appear on this planet in the very near future. A group of people referred to in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 7, and then again in Revelation chapter 14, a group of people referred to as the 144,000. And because this group of people is so incredible... And in such stark contrast to what we are as Laodiceans, what we've been trying to do is lay our lives next to what God says is true of this group of people so that we can learn some lessons from this this group of people. What we saw, first of all, is that there is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and his father and as we've compared scripture with scripture folks what we found is everything that god says is true of the hundred and forty four thousand he commands to be true of us and expects to be as true of us as he does them and the fact is if you know jesus christ as your personal savior this morning there will be there will be visible evidence of your identification with him by your life. It'll be evident by the fact that you've been sealed. And that seal, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, is the fact that you have departed from iniquity. You'll know it by the submission that you offer to the Lord Jesus Christ as one of his followers, just as with the 144,000. But not only is there visible evidence that we can learn from and begin to make application in our life, but we saw also that there's audible evidence of this group of people's connection with the Lamb and His Father. We saw that through the song that they sing. We saw it through their speech, and we've cross-referenced this thing. And what we have found out is that if we really are born-again people, if we truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, there is going to be audible evidence. You're going to be able to look at my life visibly and be able to see that is somebody that knows Christ. You're going to be able to listen to the words of my mouth and be able to tell whether or not I truly have been born again by the Spirit of God. And now today, we move into the next area of evidence that we need to be learning from, from this group of 144,000, and that is there is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and his Father. There is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb. And His Father. Okay, now you, you got that. Now I want you to listen to me for just a second, okay? Now you, you, can, you can look up at the first two points and see that we're building a nice, clean little outline and it's nicely alliterated and all of that. And we're going to continue to do that. But before we get into the outline, what I felt that God wanted us to do today is just make sure that we were ready to be able to hear what it is that we need to hear. I I think what God wants to do before we get into the outline and I preach my little message and we go on our merry little way, I I think what God's trying to to do here this morning is just go... are 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 you listening to me? Because you see, guys, now listen. We're talking about all this evidence of being identified and connected in a relationship with the lamb and his father I've taken you all over the word of God and you've been able to see there is visible evidence In those of us that are his servants in the church age There's audible evidence and God says it's going to be there And the same is true in this area of our morality But the scripture tells us in the book of James that that there's a characteristic that people have that causes them to deceive themselves he says be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves and I before we get into our outline I just want to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves in this area of our life because I want to tell you something when you begin to look at what the scripture says I'm afraid that we will be forced to draw a conclusion that based on what God says is true about the morality of people that know him, I would venture to say there are many, many, many countless number of people in Laodicea who are banking on going to heaven but don't know him. Because it's not evidenced in the morality of their life. As Laodiceans, as we've talked about, we, we tend to live under deception. Let's talk first of all about Laodicean deception number one. Laodicean deception number one. And here it is. This is how we deceive ourselves in Laodicea. We think that someone who is truly born again can live in sexual sin. We believe, and it's a deception, that someone who is truly born again can live in sexual sin. Now, now, now just listen. We, we started reading the Bible together through th- this year. We gave you a little calendar. If you haven't picked one of those up, I think you can do it in the foyer. You still ought to try to catch up. And if you can't catch up, you ought to just start with whatever the date is and, and go the rest of the way with us. I, th- I think it's an important thing. But boy, I'm just telling you, you start reading through Genesis and Exodus, and boy, what you find out is as soon as sin entered into this world, this world was facing some major sex problems. Have you, I mean, I mean, sometimes after reading the Bible, you feel like you need to take a bath. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you're going through all that stuff, and wow it's just mind-boggling the stuff that people were doing a long 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 time ago we talk about how bad it is now hey it's been bad ever since sin entered into that garden okay but as you come to the new testament it also becomes very evident that one of the areas oh buddy here it is i mean god is just spelling this thing out because sex has been such a part of everything that's been going on from the beginning What you find in the New Testament is God is just trying to get us to understand that this, this now, this is one area where born-again Christians are going to stand out. They're going to stand out in this whole area of how they possess their physical bodies, how they possess themselves sexually, and what is so wild in Laodicea is that one of the areas that we are most like the world is in how we possess our bodies. I'm talking Christians. I'm talking about people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Married men and women in Laodicea professing to be born-again Christians commit adultery. I can take you to a church down south with one of my best friends is one of the pastors there. Every year, every year in that church, there's at least 10 couples within the church with each other that commit adultery. I'm talking about people who are claiming to be saved now. Singles and junior high and high school young people who profess to be born again in Laodicea commit fornication and a lot of times right within the youth department right within the singles ministry and not that that would be any worse than doing it with the lost people in the community that we're trying to reach for loud, but you would just kinda think that maybe in a church like this one that cuts it straight that maybe some one of the partners in the midst of the the heated moment might come to grips with themselves and say no we can't do this and you got people from this is what is so sick I mean in every age group in Laodicea parents grandparents singles whatever the case is people in Laodicea who profess to be born again who are involved in pornography habitual masturbation even incest even homosexuality man I'm talking I'm not talking right now about the lost people out there in this this Laodicean age I feel like Ezra I want to pull my hair up talking about people who claim to be born again. And I ask you, what, what does the Bible say about that? What, is the, what does the Bible say? Forget what I think. Forget about what the culture says. What does the Bible say about that? Can we take just a second to, to let me show you? First Corinthians chapter six. <clears throat> now, it, we're, we're probably gonna gonna say some things today. That, that this probably gonna be easy day to say amen. Either have you found that out? But you know what? If you can't say amen, say oh me. Uh, Preach that. Uh, Ooh, that hurts. Or <laughs> you know, just it, it, throw something back here so that I know that you're not all hacked off. Okay, and some of you are gonna get ticked off, and that'd be all right. But, but, hey, let, let me know that you're out there and that you say, yeah, we need to, we need to hear this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, isn't that obvious? That's what he's saying. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Go ahead, my layout of seeing, brother and sister. Tell me about those of us living in sexual sin and and show me how it is that we inherit the kingdom of God. What what does it say? You ain't going to do it. (coughs) Oh, you mean, Pastor, you can lose your salvation for that list of those things? (gasps) Want to make sure I don't do those? Nope. What he's saying is if you can live your life after you've come to know Jesus Christ or think you have, that's exactly your problem. You just think you have. Because you haven't. Because people that do this do not inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh, that's an obscure verse. Okay, we'll go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Be therefore followers of God. We've been talking about that for. Followers of dear children and, and walk in and love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetous, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. As a believer in Jesus Christ, don't let any of that trash ever be even once named among you. Neither foolishness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye... What's the next word? Know. That no whoremonger. Same word as fornication in verse 3. Just translate it a different way. That no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath, next word, any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't let anybody tell you any different. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He's saying, don't you understand? The wrath of God comes on the the people who don't know Christ because of these things. And you mean to tell me that somebody who names the name of Christ is going to go out and do that stuff? Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness before you got saved. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. I mean, we shouldn't even be talking about that kind of stuff with one another, much less doing it. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See, then ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He's saying this is not the will of God. You can't. You can't be a believer in Jesus Christ and, and, and go live your life the way that lost people live it? Galatians. Turn back just a page or two to the, chapter 5. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And then he goes on and he lists all kinds of other things. Look at the middle of verse 21. As I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, guys, listen. I've taken it three different places where God has said the same thing three different times. If you can live your life in sexual sin and you think you're saved, you have deceived yourself. Now, can a believer in Jesus Christ commit sexual sin? got to believe that they can I just know this I wouldn't want to be standing in their place in eternity because you've stepped over what is to God one of the most incredible characteristics of those of us that truly are saved something happens inside of us that says, I cannot continue to live in the same sin that killed my Savior and that brings the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Something inside of a true believer says, I can't do this! And if you do, there is a repentant heart where you pour your heart out before God. Let me assure you of something, you don't love it. You don't go back into that whole cesspool again and say, oh, isn't it great to be going to heaven and whew, having a great time on the way. All I'm telling you, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Ephesians 5, 5, and Galatians five twenty one tells you, people who commit sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm going to leave the commentary to the Holy Spirit right now on that. I'm just telling you, that's what the book says. I appreciate the amens. I do. But that leads us to lay out a in deception number two. There's a lot of us that think that we're morally pure because we have not committed the act of sexual sin and a lot of us right now man through that first point we look back over our shoulder and since the time that we came out of darkness and god delivered us from all of that lifestyle that that just engulfed us we look back through that and it was for a lot of us no problem to say amen because we can look back and we've never committed the act of fornication adultery or uncleanness from the time that we've been saved. And my hat's off to every one of you that can do that. Praise God for that. But I just want to make sure that you understand that one of the ways that Laodiceans deceive themselves so incredibly is that we think we're doing all right morally because we haven't committed the act. And Jesus, in the very first sermon, that he preached wanted to let us know something I, and I know you're familiar with this book can we go there anyway Matthew chapter 5 we need to turn the air condition on <clears throat> now listen some of us that are very apt to say yeah yeah that's right have not really come to grips with what goes on in our hearts and and now listen the secret world that I was talking about yeah there's some of you that are no doubt in a group this size I mean I would be absolutely floored in Laodicea if there are not people in this group that are guilty of everything that we've, we've talked about, and I feel like I need a bar of soap to clean out my mouth, just naming them. But maybe the reason Laodiceans do all this stuff is because we never talk about this stuff, too. But the secret world I'm talking about is not the secret world that you, tr- you know, for you those of you that are committing this act live in. I'm talking about the secret world of what goes on inside of us that never commit the act. Jesus is on the scene here in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is different than the Pharisees, man. Pharisees, you know the whole deal. I mean, they were meticulous about the law, so meticulous, that they even added, I forget how many hundred other laws... On top of the law of God, so that you make sure that you don't do anything wrong. And by the time that the people had done, all, you know, had heard all of this, all of the people who weren't Pharisees were going around going, "Oh my goodness, how in the world are we ever going to make it?" I mean, there's laws for everything, and Jesus is on the scene, man, and Jesus has got a message of love, and his his demeanor, and everything that he's saying is just. So different, and people want to hear what he has to say. And so, in the very first sermon, the first thing that he wants them to know in verse 17, and this had to just ruin their day think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Don't, you've been thinking, I'm going to undo the law. Mm-mm, that's not what I'm all about. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, and here, oh my goodness, you talk about a crushing blow. Here it is. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven and this was just the point all of these people were thinking oh if i could just be as righteous as the scribes and pharisees and jesus says if all you get is as righteous as them you'll die and go to hell your righteousness must exceed their righteousness you know what righteousness they had y'all external righteousness and you know what the whole rest of this thing is about in chapter five Here's the scribes and Pharisees externally doing all of the stuff. And do you think for a minute they'd crawl in the sack with somebody? Not on your life! Do you think that they'd take out a knife and kill somebody? Not on your life! The law prohibited that! And Jesus goes through one thing after another and says, Okay, you've heard that you shouldn't kill But he says, listen, you understand what's at the root of killing another person? It's hate. And I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Oh, no. And here he comes. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know what Jesus is trying to get us to see? While so many of us are very meticulous about what we will not allow ourselves to do because, you know, we are born again. We allow ourselves to be blinded to what is going on in our heart. And you know what Jesus is trying to get us to see? It's every bit as sinful as committing the act. You're not any less guilty because you don't commit the act if it's going on in your heart. And listen, some of us in this room We've never committed any act of sexual sin. But in your heart, many of us have probably committed a whole lot more and a whole lot more perverted acts than people we would look at and call fornicators because they did the act. Now, I, I know what... Some of you might be thinking, well, hey, I mean, if it's just as bad, you might as well do it. I'm telling you, they're equally bad, equally sinful. Consequences are a whole lot different, though. You'll spend the rest of your life cleaning up that mess. So, you know, yeah, yeah. There's no difference. Committed it in your heart, committed it in the sack. Jesus, It doesn't matter. It's the same deal to Jesus. You got that? Consequences are monumentally different. But the sin is the issue. Born-again people, there ought to be something different going on in the heart, on the inside of people who profess to know Jesus Christ. Let me take you just on a quick little journey in the book of Genesis. You know what? When God created man, He gave him just an an incredible gift. You know what He gave him? He he gave to man the ability to imagine. He gave us the ability to think and to be able to to use our imagination. And and you know what? Before Genesis chapter 3... Man's boundaries were were unlimited, and whatever he could imagine, he was permitted by God to do. Can you imagine that? Whatever he could imagine, it, 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 he could do. But now, listen. When man sinned in the garden in Genesis tra- chapter three, our imaginative power was delivered a crushing blow, y'all. When sin entered into the world, something major happened with our ability to imagine. Because you see, now, listen, now man had the capacity to imagine things that he wasn't permitted by God to do. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 in Noah's day, would you look at what it says? And God... Saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, watch this. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, that's what God has to say about man's imagination. All it is, is one continual evil thought after another. And notice that it proceeds from the heart. It's the same issue we were talking about with the tongue. But I promise you, and I think it's cool, we won't be going around this week going, Woo! Boy, you wouldn't know about the lust in my heart. And then... Go over to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 after the flood. Look in the middle of verse 21. God says that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I do believe that Part of Satan's strategy is to take our young people, and as soon as he possibly can, at the earliest possible age, he wants to expose them to things that will cause their imagination to be only evil continually, so that it begins as a pattern when we're just stinking little snotty-nosed kids. And most of the men in this room can attest to the fact that the devil had somebody somewhere when we were knee-high to a grasshopper that introduced us to pornography so that our mind would begin from our youth to think thoughts that are wicked before God. In Genesis chapter 11, in verse 6, God continues to talk about our imagination. This is at the Tower of Babel. And look at what God says in the context of verse 6. Look at the middle of the verse. He says... And now nothing will be restrained from the from them which they have imagined to do. And what you see is there's a progression. God get, just keeps showing the imagination of man's heart and the wicked, the things that he thinks about. They're only evil continually. It starts from their, the time they're a youth, and you know what? They're doing just about everything that they can. Imagine, and we won't take the time to turn there, but now listen, we, we, we hit this verse last week. As history unfolds, what you begin to see is God's attitude toward the misuse of our imagination. God begins to use stronger and stronger terms as He lets us know how He feels about that. And we come to Proverbs chapter six and verse 16. and the Bible says, "These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, listen, seven are an abomination unto Him, and among the list of only seven things that God says that He hates, listen to one of them, and heart that deviseth wicked. Imaginations, and I'm here to tell you, folks, Laodiceans are people with wicked imaginations that think they're doing just fine spiritually. I read a counselor as he was talking about him counseling a pastor of a large church that had everything going, taught the Word of God, believed the Word of God. And this is what the counselor said about the conversation. He says, I asked if he had ever before been unfaithful to his wife. He assured me that this was the first time since he entered the ministry that he had done anything of which he was ashamed. The counselor said, I I picked up on his use of the word done. So I asked him why he used it. The preacher said, because prior to now, I've never done anything other than think normal thoughts about other women. There it is, y'all. we've done this so long we think this is normal thoughts the reason Laodiceans never get their life right in this area of their sexual purity it's normal thoughts you know what God calls those normal thoughts wicked abominations every one of them You see what I'm talking about? We get in our cute little outline here and we start with our little alliteration and we're all just, yes, that 144,000. I didn't even show you. got so excited. didn't even show you what it says about this group of 144,000. These are they which are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And we'll talk further about all the ramifications of that. I'm just telling you. We didn't need ramifications today. What we need as Laodiceans is somebody to take a, a cup of cold ice water and pop, throw it in our face and get our attention. And I'd like to let the Word of God be that cup of cold water right now. If you would, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And back in chapter 3, in verse 11, what what Paul does is he begins to pray for the Thessalonians. Look at what he says. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you. Here's how he's praying. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. To the end. He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that, he says, that's how I'm, I'm praying, that God will make you holy. And then he begins chapter 4 to give them the call toward holiness. Look at what he says in verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And would you, would you look at, back at verse 1 again? I want you to notice the strength be, be, behind what he's calling us to do. Would you look at the words? We beseech you, he says. We exhort you. That listen, this is not just some passive little thing that he's talking about. You know, he's not saying, you know. Now listen, y'all. It, it would really be nice if you guys would know. I, I mean, there's power behind the words. He is pleading with those Thessalonians. He's pleading with us. He's charging those Thessalonians. He's charging us. Now, 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 listen. Just, I mean, just those words. I'm beseeching you. I'm exhorting you. Just those words from the, the Apostle Paul. You know, I mean, the Thessalonians receiving these, this letter, man. That would have carried some, some major strength. I mean, this is the guy that led them to Christ. This was a guy mightily used of God. This is the guy that discipled them. But look at what it says. We beseech you, brethren, and exhort you. By... The Lord Jesus. And would you look at verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Do you know what he's saying? He says, now listen y'all. What I'm talking about here, this isn't my counsel. This isn't what I think. I'm I'm not the one that's beseeching you on this. I'm not the one that's exhorting you on this. He says, I'm making this appeal to you on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I'm commanding this of you in His name. I'm commanding this of you on His behalf. And, and notice, this is not just an appeal that He makes to the Thessalonians here, y'all. This appeal that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, that, we, that He is beseeching and, and exhorting of us, this is for all of us who named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, now, now listen, I'm just telling you, this is one thing. I mean, if this is Paul's appeal to us, you know, that, I mean, that's one thing. Yeah, that, that's cool. Paul, you know, he feels strong about this. this. This is one thing. I mean, if this is just my cute little sermon for the day, he just gets his jollies and making everybody feel terrible. Hey, if this is just my little sermon, that's one thing. But now listen, I'm just telling you, you guys, It's a whole different thing when you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us in this passage, I, your Lord, your Master, your Owner, I'm beseeching you. I am exhorting you. You're mine now, and because of that, I'm begging you. I'm charging this of you. You know what? When you understand that, it changes everything. So understand that. This is serious business, guys. We've been besieged and exhorted by the Lord Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 2 that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so ye would abound more and more. Now now listen, what he's telling us in verse 2 is that there is a way that Christians, listen to the word, there's a way that Christians ought to walk. People who know Jesus Christ, there's a way that they ought to walk now that they know Him. Now, we could take the time this morning. We're not going to take the time to do it. You can do it on your own. Just look up the word walk in the New Testament and what you'll find all over the Bible, God tells you about how to, how to walk the way that you ought to walk. But if you want a capsulization of it all, God gives it to you in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Just listen to it. Listen. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You know how you ought to walk? Verse 2. The same way that Jesus walked. Just ask yourself, how did the Lord Jesus Christ walk when he was on this earth? And oh buddy, does the church of Jesus Christ, does First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia need to hear that? Listen. That is the standard for how we live our lives. How He walked. That's the holiness that He's he's calling for. Listen, we're not to be holy compared to the standard of the world. The world is a sick place. And for 6,000 years, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, what, what Paul says is that sin has continually waxed worse and worse and worse. So listen, don't look around at the world and say, boy, I think I'm doing pretty good. We're not to be holy compared to the world. 1 Peter 1.15 says that we are to be holy as He is holy. He's the standard. We are to walk even as He walked. That's how we ought to walk. And notice the next phrase that Paul uses there at the end of verse 1. And to please God. You've received of us how you ought to walk and... To please God. Okay, Jesus Christ is our Lord, so we walk the way that He wants us to walk, and our job is not to please our bodies. We've been called, He says here, to please God. And I'm asking you, my Laodicean brother and sister, do you please God with your body? Do you please God with your mind, with your heart? And, you know, it's kind of like our walk, you know. I mean, you can cross-reference that, day all, that thing all, all day long. And we could look up all kinds of things in the Bible where the Bible talks about the things that, that please the Lord. But you know what he's trying to get us to see here in, in the context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what pleases God, y'all? Holiness pleases God. Look at verse 7. You were called to it. You know why you were called to it? Because it pleases Him. You know what else pleases Him? Sanctification, purity. It pleases God. Verse 3 says that it's His will. It pleases Him. And just so we wouldn't miss the point, you know, that, you know, yes, we're we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to be holy. He spells it out in verse 3. Just so that it 's almost like to me that God is saying now now let me make sure that you understand what i 'm saying. He gets out a spray can and he goes to your wall and says here 's what i 'm talking about that ye abstain from fornication. okay, does everybody understand now that's what that 's what paul 's saying i 'm talking about being sanctified i 'm trying to be I'm talking about being holy you know, you know what i 'm talking about what I mean in here is that you abstain from fornication. And fornication is a is a general word that's used in the Bible to refer to any kind of sexual sin. It's pretty safe to say, y'all, it includes anything that you're wondering about and trying to justify this morning. Straight up. Covers just about all of it. And now listen, because we live in a culture that's beginning to You get more and more like Sodom and Gomorrah. And because, as 2 Timothy 3.13 says, it's going to just continue to get worse and worse, that's why the end of verse 1 calls us to abound in holiness and sanctification. Look at more and more. And I promise you folks, listen, in, in this culture that we're living in, If you are not moving closer and closer, abounding more and more toward God's standard of holiness, I promise you, you are going to get swept away in the current of sensuality. The reason that most Laodiceans are in the strait that we're in this morning is because we haven't done the last part of verse 1. We have not abounded more and more in this. We thought we could just stay here. And I'm just telling you, in a Sodom and Gomorrah type culture, it ain't going to happen. And I'm just telling you guys, I believe what, what the Lord has prompted in this message today, we have got to stop justifying the way that we let the world's immorality invade our lives, in the way, things that we think about somewhere along the way. We, we've got to be jolted into understanding these are not normal thoughts for a Bible-believing, born-again Christian. They are wicked abominations, is what they are. We've got to get to the place, y'all, where we stop in the name of entertainment allowing ourselves to be pulled away from God's will for your life and this is where everybody wants to say well you know what they're just legalistic down there you know what is so sad is the things that we allow ourselves to be entertained by. Pull us away from the will of God and we don't even know it. We don't even know what's going on. And the reason I say it pulls you away from God's will is because God's will for your life, according to verse 3, is that you be separated from the world and set apart unto God. God. Listen, you know why some of you are so distraught and your life is in such disarray and and you can't make heads or tails out of what God's plan for your life is? It's not not real difficult to figure it out. You're not in the will of God. Because God's will is that you be set apart, you be sanctified, that you be walking in holiness, verse 4. That every one of you, okay, you got who he's talking about here? All of us, you, should, watch this now, that every one of you should know, not, not think you got it down. Not, not, y'all, I'm in the process of learning about that. No! He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel or his body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence and, and what the, the word is, is just unbridled sensual desire. It's the opposite of possessing your vessel. And verse five goes on to say, "The people, listen now, listen.
1: Laodiceans,
0: listen. What verse five says is, "The people who live in the lust of concupiscence, people who live in that unbridled sexual desire are the Gentiles. They're the heathen. They're the people who don't know God. That's who lives like that. Not born-again Christians. And look at verse 8. Paul says, Hey, uh, now, understand, if you don't like all this, if you think this is too strong, if you don't want to hear it, if you want to disregard it, if you want to reject it, realize this, Paul says, It's not me you're rejecting. It's not me you're despising it's it's God, and he goes on here he says, because do you understand he's even placed his holy Spirit in you to show you the truth of what I'm saying and to empower you to live this kind of life and and, and listen you may walk out of here today and say, you know what that, that that's it i ain't gonna I ain't gonna I ain't going to subject myself to that kind of preaching You know what? The guy's too narrow. The dude's too fanatical. The guy needs to get in the 21st century. The guy's nothing but a legalist. You know what? You can walk out of here today and you can say that. It's your prerogative. Nobody's holding a gun to your head and saying, you got to go to church here. You know what? You can walk out and do that. But now listen, as you're walking out, would you at least be honest enough with yourself to understand that you're not rejecting me? You're not despising me. All I'm doing is just telling you what the book says. It's, it, this is exactly what Paul is coming to here. And he's saying, now listen, I know this is strong, and some of you are going to get ticked off. When you get ticked off, understand, it's not me you've got a problem with. It's God. <clears throat> We were honest with ourselves about our tongue. We were honest with ourselves about our heart as it relates to our tongue. And now we're faced with probably the biggest hurdle that we've ever faced as a church as far as getting honest. Because now we've hit the and button. And now we're going to have to ask ourselves, am I going to be honest with my mind? The same way I was with my tongue and how my mind relates to my heart and face the issue that the reason that I think the things that I think and the reason I do the things that I do is because that's what's in my heart. In Mark chapter 7, I I skipped over that, forgot to show you that. That's what Jesus says. That fornications and adulteries, evil thoughts, listen, proceed from the heart. The answer to this is not for us all to walk out today and say, I'm not going to think lustful thoughts. I'm not going to think lustful thoughts. I'm not going to think lustful thoughts. I'm not going to... You know what it's like? It's like saying, I'm not going to think of flying purple elephants. Because when you say, tell yourself, I'm not going to think of flying purple elephants, you know what you do? You think of flying purple elephants for some stupid reason. And what most Christians do, this is terrible, this is wrong, I shouldn't think these lustful... Oh yeah, thoughts. It's not the answer. Colossians gives us the answer. Romans 12 gives us the answer. It's the renewing of our mind from a youth... The imaginations of our heart have been wicked. God's saying, now what needs to happen? You need to reprogram your computer. Reprogram your brain. Philippians chapter 4 tells you the things to think about. The issue is not, I'm not going to think about all those dirty stuff. The answer is thinking about the things that God tells you to think about. And letting the word of God find entrance in your mind and renew your mind so that you don't continue to think of them. But I'm just telling you, as long as you think it's normal thoughts, you'll continue on in your same sorry, lay out a sin situation with the rest of the world. And I'm just telling you, in light of the things we've seen this morning, if this isn't an area that God can clean up in our life, it's probably a good indication that God isn't in our life. Is that true? <clears throat> now, if you're here today and you don't know the word Jesus Christ, now, now Christians, don't zone out. It would be a great opportunity for you to pray for folks right now. Okay, but, but listen... Those of you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, one of the things that the Spirit of God does is He reproves or He convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I'll just tell you, He's had every opportunity afforded to Him from the pages of His Word to do that in your life. But the reason that He does that is not so that you can walk out of a church service feeling all oh, terrible and bad and guilty. The reason He does that is so you'll be brought to the reality of of how sinful you are and how in need of a Savior you are. And you know what? This is probably the the biggest go button we could hit in this culture to allow us to see the sinfulness of our hearts, of our lives, so that we can be brought to God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And, And today... If the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, has convicted you of your need of a Savior, our pastors are going to be on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed. And listen, what God wants to do is He wants to take your sin and remove it from your life. And we invite you to come. And you know what? We invite you. God doesn't invite you. God commands you. In the book of Acts, what He says, Now, God commandeth every man everywhere to repent now that's god's command and if you would like to be obedient to that today then we invite you to come and talk to somebody so that you can leave here today assured that your sin is forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven and now church let's just pull it in here The Lord has rebuked and he has chastened us because he loves us. Imagine that. In light of everything that we had to work through today, in spite of all of that, he still loves us. And that's why he spanked us today. So we could be brought to the reality of what we're not. But we'll walk out of here disobedient if we haven't made some determinations in this room today and talk to him about what he's talked to us about,